Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. I'm going to do a, a message called Keep Serving. We're doing, um, we're working through the book of Philippians. And if you are new to church or maybe didn't make it here last week, I thought I would take a moment just to tell you a little bit about what Philippians is. So we call it a book. It's actually a letter. And it was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. And this was the first church that Paul had planted in Europe. And this city um, had a very special status. A lot of the people that were in the city were uh, Roman veterans that had fought in, in armies and Because of that, they had special tax-exempt statuses. They were able to own land, and so the people in the city uh, were wealthy. And so for the most part, it was a, uh, a good church, a healthy church, a growing church. But when people made a decision to give their lives to Jesus as Christianity began to spread in the city of Philippi, the church came under persecution. And so people said, look, when you give your life to Jesus, he becomes your God and it's not the emperor. And so that caused some issues. Now, Paul wanted to write this letter primarily not to address issues that were going on, but really to encourage the church to continue to advance the kingdom of God and in an environment that was becoming increasingly hostile to the gospel message. I thought, wow, that could have been written to Melbourne. That could have been written to Australia. That could have been written to every Western nation on the planet because it's interesting that we we have this increasing hostility towards the message. I just think that people don't understand what the message is all about. That's what we do. And and so um, I I thought this is so relevant. I want to read some scriptures to you because what Paul did is he wrote this letter to them, giving them some strategy for how to communicate the gospel and in an environment that is hostile to that message. Isn't that good for us? Like I just thought, man, we, we, we could do with this. We can do with this right now today. So I want to read to you out of Philippians. I'm going to read from chapter 2, 3 to 8. It's on the screens for you. And then 12 to 16. This is what it says. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you Look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. So he was God, but he was in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, listen to this, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now I'm going to jump down to verse 12. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things. It's pretty exhaustive, isn't it? Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, 
holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. I used to have this boss that I worked for many years ago. I remember one day we took a trip out to see a client and in that car trip, I got to know my boss very well. And as she began to talk to me about um, the decisions that she was making, sometimes for the office or who she was as a person, I was just listening, just listening to what she's saying and trying to get an understanding of, of who this person really is. And it became apparent to me during the course of that conversation that this person, while they are our leader, essentially, the boss of the entire office that I worked for, they were really about themselves. And all of the decisions that they made were really just to benefit them. So whenever we would bring out a new idea or a policy or whatever it was, I remember looking at this person and just trying to think, what's your angle? You know, like, what's your motivation? Like, why are we doing this? I guess I was a little bit suspicious, which sounds really bad, but, but I got to know this person. And when everything that they do exists to serve them, and they're leading others and they get other people to do stuff, I guess we were just trying to figure out why we were doing what we were doing. I was trying to figure out this person's motivation in all the decisions that they were making. Everything that you do says something about you. Everything you do says something about you. And you are saying a lot all of the time. In fact, you might not know this, but you're, you're always communicating. You're always saying something. I take my kids to school in the morning and everyone is really funneled when they take their kids to school in the morning towards this one gate. It's just this one gate. And I guess I don't know what is officially the etiquette around gate holding. But sometimes you happen to be the first person to reach the gate and you open it. And have you ever done this, like where you've opened the gate and as you do, you realize there's a person behind you and you smile and you hold the gate open for them and then you click, oh, wait, wait a minute. And there's another person coming and then you were the first, but now you're becoming the last. Sounds biblical, but people, people are making their way through. I don't know what the etiquette is around gate holding. How far does someone have to be within proximity of that gate for me to stand there? I don't know. I, I really don't know. Like, for example, if they're like within, I'm going to say, if they're within five meters, I'm probably going to hold that gate. But if you're like 20 meters back, get your own gate, you know? Like, I, I don't know. In fact, you know what I'm going to tell you? I'm going to tell you, this is a good strategy, just so you know. It's, it's, it's actually less about the distance and it's more about the eye contact. Because if you make eye contact with the person that's walking, you are just going to stand there until they walk through and, and, then, and then you close the gate. Now, no one's making you do this, right? Apart from the cult, social and cultural pressure to be kind and nice. But, uh, but apart from that, no one's actually making you do it. So, you know, when people walk through and they see you holding the gate, right? And when they get there, they're like, oh, thank you so much. You're like, oh, of course, you know, and, 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 and they walk through. Now, that's nice, okay? But it's funny because sometimes you see that and that's kind and that's nice. But I have a membership with a certain organization that I'm not going to reveal. And when I walk into this um, place, there is a girl that sits on the reception desk. And man, if she makes eye contact with you, well, you have just been blessed, right? This person that sits on the desk, right? I don't know if they've had a good day in their life, but they haven't had it while I've been there. 
Um, and, and, and when I walk in, right, I'm always the one that says hello, right? And so I, I, like, I walk in and they're there and they'll say something like, like they'll be looking at a screen. doesn't matter what screen. Sometimes it's the phone. Sometimes it's the computer. And they're like, hello, you know, and then you, you know, scan in and do whatever you got to do, right? And, and so this person is paid to be kind and they can't even manage it then. Like, <laughs> Some people are paid to be kind and they can't do it and other people are not paid to be kind and they do do it. And I guess the point that I'm trying to make is, is that people are pretty good at figuring out what's genuine and what's not, you know? Like, you know when someone's being nice and genuine. You know once when someone is out of the goodness of their heart, uh, serving you and looking after you and you know when someone's paid to do it and they just don't want to do it. I notice it. I reckon you do too. I think that people generally are pretty smart and they can figure it out. And I don't know if these people, if everyone understands this, but you're saying a lot more than you think. For example, and this is a pretty well-known fact, but when it comes to communication and, and, and how we communicate, uh, only 7% is what you say, like the words that you use. But 38% of the overall message comes from your tone. Did you know that? So it's not just what you say, but it's how you say it. And then there's another 55% that comes from your body language. So when you say to someone, hi, it's so, I'm so glad to see you, everything about that says I'm genuine. Not like my friend on reception. Because my, she will say, hi, how are you? And she's not looking. And so there's so much communication that's going on in that moment. I realized that, you know, She's not that genuine about that. I reckon when her shift's over, she's not going home and being kind like that. She can't even manage to do it when she's paid to do it. I guess my point is, is that everything that you do is communicating a message. So I wonder what's the message you're sending? Like, what are people piecing together about you? What, what are they working out about you? I think what you do says a lot about you. So... So where you spend your time reveals a lot about you. So for example, like if you go to church every week and people in your workplace, if they know that, and, and come on, like you're giving up a sleep in on Sunday, uh, you know, so, so it must matter to you. Wow, you go every week, every week we go to church. It's like, well, that just revealed to me something about your priority. Some, that's, that's obviously something that you care about, how you spend your time. It, 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 people notice how, what you do with your talent. Like, so some people are really talented and, and, and where you use your talent, your skill, your ability and how you use it, right? That reveals something about you. For some people, they're very busy and they work very hard. And, and so they're working all the time, but you see the, their heart when they're very generous because they say, well, I'm good at, 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 maybe I'm good at making money and, and, and I'm very wealthy and God has blessed me in this area and I work very hard, but I wanna, I wanna serve uh, God or the kingdom or anything. So I'm gonna be generous. And maybe it's not, it doesn't have to just be church. Like it could be anything. They're just, they're just generous with their resource, generous with their wealth. That says something about them. Now, I think everybody has got the resource of time, talent, and treasure. And how you spend those things reveals something about your priorities. It reveals what matters to you. Simon Sinek says this, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. So people aren't just figuring out what you do, that's what they see. But then there's a question behind that saying, I wonder why they do that. 
I'm, I, I tell you, motive is everything. Motive matters. I, I really believe this. Motive is everything. Like, so earlier this week, Sarah and I had, on Tuesday, we had our uh, 14th wedding anniversary, okay? So 14 years, thank you. And so I, I picked up the kids and um, that, that particular night, Sarah actually stayed back late and worked. The only time she's ever had to stay back late and work is just this one day. We're not going to talk about that, but, but she stays back late and works. And I thought, hey, this is a great opportunity for me to set the house up. We had the kids that night, so it's a date night in. And, and I'm like, I could set it up. We could get some flowers. And so I got the kids in the car. Now, realizing that we were short of time as it was, I knew I had to get them all on board. So we got into the car and I said, hey, guys, you know what's mom and I, it's our wedding anniversary. Yes, dad, we know that. It was like, well, hey, how would you guys feel about totally setting up the house? So it was really nice. And when mom walks in, she gets a big surprise. They're like, dad, that is such a great idea. My kids are just on board with this idea. I'm like, fantastic. Let's do it. So, so we, we pull into the shopping center and I, and I parked the car. And right as I parked the car, I get a phone call from my cousin. So he's starting to speak to me and ask me questions. And I'm like trying to get the kids out the car. And I'm like, come on, follow me. Right? Stick with me. Stick with me across the road. That's what it's like, you know. And so we get into the shopping center. And, and I'm looking at all like the different desserts and what we can get. And I'm trying to select the dessert. But in the background, I got like these three little seagulls like, dad, 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 dad. Like, if you don't have kids, you, you, you don't know. You don't know. And, and they're like, dad, dad, dad. You would think that when you didn't answer on the 10th dad that they would just give up and say he's obviously busy no dad 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 so anyway I'm talking to my uh, my cousin I'm trying to choose a dessert and and I'm got this happening in the background I'm like shh 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 like be quiet like I'm trying to do something so so anyway I get to the end I hang up the phone I choose the dessert and I turn around and only one child was with me and it was Isaac that was the most shocking part about the whole thing I couldn't believe that he was the one that stayed. I said, Isaac, where's your brother and sister? He's like, they ran off. I'm like, what? I'm like, okay, listen, this is what we're going to do. We're going to get the desserts, right? And, and, and we're going to find them. So we, we get them and I'm, I'm walking through the aisle, you know, like, nope, they're not there. Nope, nope, nope. I'm looking around. Then it occurs to me, they're not even in the shops anymore. Like, so, so we're at a shopping center. We were in Woolies. They're not even in there. And I'm like, they could be anywhere. Now, remember, I don't have a lot of time, so I'm feeling the pressure. I said, come on, Isaac, we pay for the stuff. We pay for it. And we start trying to hunt them down. So I'm looking for them, right? And, I, and, and they could be anywhere. But a lot of shops are closed. I guess it's kind of late. But Kmart is open. And they love going to Kmart to look at like $2 toys that's squishy. And they, they love that stuff. So, so I'm like, they're probably in there. So I'm walking with Isaac. And I'm like, I'll tell you, your brother and sister, they're going to be in so much trouble. I can't believe these guys. I wanna, when I find it, when I find these kids, right? And, and, and you know, do you ever have like, um, if you've got kids, you might get this. Like they love it when the others get in trouble. They're like, yeah, dad. And I stayed with you, you know, like, uh, oh, Oh, where are they? But I stayed with you because I love you, Dad. So, like, they just love it when the others are in trouble. So anyway, we're, we're, we're hunting them down. I go into Kmart. There's a lady that was there. She goes, hi, how are you? Genuine. So, 
I, I said, oh, I'm okay, but I'm looking for my kids. Have you, have you seen two kids walk in here? She's like, no, I haven't, right? She sees another staff member. She goes, hey, come over here. The other lady comes over and she says, what's going on? And she goes, um, he's looking for his children. Have you seen them, right? She looks at me and she goes, oh, are they lost? And I'm like, well, I guess so, because I don't know where they are. She's like, right, well, we should coordinate this. So she starts pulling staff members, like we need to find these children. Like, gosh, they were amazing, right? So anyway, I start hunting around for these kids. I work my way to the outside of Kmart and I come back and I'm in the center of the store now where the entrance is and I see them at the entrance. Well, they run up to me, smiles, dad, dad, right? And I'm like, they're about to get in trouble, right? This is what happens. They say, dad, we know that it was your anniversary and we wanted to be real special for you. So we were looking for candles so you could have a beautiful dinner tonight. I'm like, you are the most beautiful children. <laughs> I have ever seen. You are like, guys, I just want to tell you that you can't, you can't just run off and do that. But gosh, you are beautiful. Let's go check out the candles. And so they went, show me the candles right now. What happened there, right? On the surface, nothing changed. But I just knew what their motivation was. And that changed everything for me. Because I realized that they were just trying to do the right thing. And because they were genuine in their heart and they were just trying to do something nice, like they just avoided getting in trouble that day. They, they wanted to, it, it mattered to me why they did what they did. You see what I'm saying? I'm saying that motivation matters. And people, when they meet you and they're trying to figure out what's your motivation for what you do in life, why you do what you do, it really matters to people. So you can do the right thing with the wrong intention and you can do the wrong thing with the right intention and depending on which way it goes, it matters a lot to people. They care about this. And I think people are smart. I, I do. I think that generally speaking, people are smart and they can figure out what's really going on with you. Why, why would I say this? Because Paul says this. He says, do nothing with selfish ambition. What's ambition? That's the desire that's in your heart. So that's what's hidden, right? He says, do nothing, nothing with selfish ambition. Now, in the context, I'm like, what is Paul really talking about? Well, right after he says that, he gives us this amazing illustration of Jesus Christ, who was God, but came down and took the form of a servant, right? And in humility came down, took the form of a servant, right? So it's in the context of serving. And I realized that, you know, he's saying, uh, you know, if you're going to serve, right? Do it like Christ did in all humility with genuineness in your heart. The opposite of that would be to, to serve, but to have selfish ambition. I thought, wow, how could that even happen? Really, honestly, who would serve with selfish ambition? What does that even look like? Like, how could you serve but do it with selfish ambition? I, thought, I tried to imagine what that could look like. So if you had someone that was looking like they were serving, but on the inside it was selfish, then they're not doing it for other people, they're doing it for themselves, right? Why would someone serve others for themselves unless they were trying to use the service as a way to build themselves up. So what looks good is actually about building a platform for themselves. And that's exactly the problem. 
that service is not meant to be about you. When you serve, it's meant to be for other people. I thought, my gosh, do people even really do this? Well, apparently they do. Look at what it says in Philippians chapter 1 and in, in verse 15. You don't have this on the screens. Just listen. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. Why would anyone preach Christ from rivalry? Unless the other people that were preaching Christ, you saw them as your competition. Oh, now that's interesting. So I'm going to preach Christ, but I'm going to do it better than you because what I'm building is more about me. Gosh, what a terrible attitude that is. And that is everything opposite to the kingdom of God. Because it's not about being in competition with other people that are preaching Christ. It's, it's all about doing the right thing for the right reasons. We're, we're actually here to build the kingdom of God. Like that's, that's meant to be the motivation and the intention of our hearts. And Paul says, man, people are going to figure this out if you do it wrong. But hey, come on, this works both ways. So he writes to the Philippians. Now get this. He says, Philippians, this could work for us. This could really work for us if people figure us out. Because what if we just kind all the time? Whether you're paid or not. What if you were just kind all the time? When no one was around that knew you, but everywhere you went, you were just nice. What if everywhere that you went, you were just loving and gracious, and people would catch you in the act of kindness. What if, what if, what if that happened? And they're like, wow, they're not even just nice at church. They're nice everywhere. I, I, I see this person doing kind things all the time, regardless of whether they get credit for it or not. This, this just seems to be who they are. What, what if what we did was really just serve people all the time and we served them whether we were standing on a door and officially meant to be the greeter or the welcomer that day or if it's in our workplace and we're just always happy to open the door for other people what if what if regardless of the position you hold or how important you think you are you just continue to serve people eventually they're gonna figure you out because they're going to look for that motivation. And when they find it, what will they say? At least they would say, they seem to be genuinely nice. Gosh, that matters. They seem to genuinely really care. Like, I'm not sure if I believe their entire message, but boy, they, they genuinely want to love and look after people. Like, that, that matters. They're eventually going to figure out that we care. And Paul writes this to them, but I don't think Paul came up with this on his own. In fact, Jesus said something very important about this. And I think Paul knew about that when he wrote the scriptures that we're reading. If you look at Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28, Jesus called his disciples. Now, when Jesus calls his disciples, I don't know what you do, but I imagine that what he's saying to them, he means to me. Because I'm a disciple of Jesus too. I'm following him. He's my teacher. So I want to listen the same way as the disciples did. This is what he said to them. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, which are just, you know, non-Jewish people. He said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them? 
and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as, and get this, the Son of Man, which is Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, you see how some people, when they run their structures and organizations, the ones that are in authority, they lord it over those that, they're, that are below them in the hierarchy and the structure. He says, you see how they do that? Disciples said, yes. He says, well, we don't do that. We're, we're going to be totally different to that. Okay? He says, guys, when I came, and remember, he's God. So he says, when I came, I didn't come expecting to be served, but I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. I kind of feel like if Jesus was willing to give his life for, for this to, to serve other people, why should we be any less than what our Savior did? And, it's, and guys, this is more brilliant than you realize. Because on the surface, it just sounds nice. But listen to it, right? This is a strategy for how to get the gospel to a culture that is increasingly hostile to it. That's what this is. Because when you come out and you lord authority, and if you're mean-spirited, right, no one's listening to that message. But if you're kind and you're genuine and you're nice, the platform it builds is not for you or your ministry or who you are or for the accolades or anything like that. What this actually builds is a platform for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is the most important message any one of us can share at any point. That's what it's about. Now, if you're new to church and you don't know what the gospel is, let me give it to you in a nutshell. The Bible says that God loved the world when it was in its fallen and broken state that he loved the world so much that he gave his only son. Now, when it says that he gave his son, it's because Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our mistakes. Every single person in this room here would be familiar with making a mistake. The Bible says we've all done it. Now, the problem is, is that there's a penalty for that mistake and we call those mistakes sin. But if you believe that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for it, you don't have to. Now, sin will always be dealt with and you can allow what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago to set you free today or you can take all of your mistakes and meet God with those mistakes after you die, but you will have eternity to regret doing that. The Bible says that God loved the world so much that He gave His only Son. Whoever believes in that message will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world would be saved by Him. Here's a concern. If you ask people that don't, are not familiar with our message, they think that church is all about condemnation. Isn't that ironic? That the very thing that the Bible says Jesus came for is the very thing that they have confused. They said, oh, the church exists to condemn people, to tell them that they're bad, that they're wrong, that they're all that. But the message of Jesus was completely the opposite. No, he didn't come to condemn the world. Jesus came to save the world. Now that should be our message. That's what, that's what church is all about, is the gospel message. I, I, I need you to figure something out today. No matter how important you think you are, what your title is, what position you hold, every single one of us is meant to be a servant. Every single one of us. See, Jesus said, leadership is actually servanthood. That's what he said. 
He said, if you want to be first, consider yourself last. Think about the interests of others. Serve them ahead of yourself. If you understand what Jesus was saying, he's saying that leadership is servanthood. I was reading a book earlier this week by a guy, Patrick Lencioni, and he made this really important point. He said, leadership is not a reward for your time served. You know, it's like when you get to the top, you're rewarded with leadership. No, no. He says, if you think that leadership is all about being rewarded, then you'll treat that position accordingly. You're supposed to understand, this is Patrick Lencioni, he says, you need to understand that, that leadership is about serving. So a good leader will serve their entire organization. A good pastor will serve their church. Leadership is about servanthood. Simon Sinek, he, he said the exact same thing. He said, I live for a day when we shouldn't have to define servant-hearted leadership as a thing. Because when we say leadership, everyone should know what that means. We don't have to define it as a special type of leadership because everyone understands that leadership is about serving. Here's the crazy thing. Simon Sinek, back in the days when you could meet together in large groups, which was last week, um, <laughs> would sell out conferences around the world at 400 bucks a ticket minimum to tell you what Jesus gave you for free in the scriptures 2,000 years ago. And like people are, people are taking this content and selling out around the world saying, hey, it's all about servanthood. This is exactly what Jesus said. It's, it's all about servanthood. In fact, the kingdom of God is built on this upside down hierarchy. That's how this works. If you want to be first, consider yourself last. Realize that you exist to serve other people. This, this idea of servanthood is so incredibly important to us that last year we added it as a value. I feel like we should have done it a long time ago, but and I felt like it was implied in church, but I thought if it's a value, we should have it. So what do we say? As a church, we say, we love serving. We are here to serve our church and the world because we're not just about serving ourselves. We've got to be about serving other people. So this is a very important thing. In fact, it's so consistent in Scripture. You take the Scriptures and you open uh, the book of Romans, right? Paul wrote the book of Romans. This is what he said. He said, I, Paul, a servant. If you open Philippians, he says, I, Paul, a servant. You open Titus, he says, I, Paul, a servant. Paul has this way of continuing to say, I'm just a servant. That's what I'm doing. I'm really just here to serve. Like I see myself as a servant. It's interesting because he introduces himself as apostle, which is like the leader, but he also says, I'm a servant. Now, we understand that Paul is serving Jesus Christ, but it's so interesting that when Paul serves Jesus, he also sees himself as one that serves people. That principle seems to be consistent in the Scriptures. What does the Bible say? Well, you've got to love God. And if you really love God, you've got to love people. In fact, the way that we would treat people is often how, we, or the way that we would treat God is often how we would treat people as well, like in terms of how we love them and care about them and serve them. The word servant specifically in that context, in Philippians, as Paul introduces himself, he says, I'm going to read the description. It says, servant, or yes, yeah, servant is one who gives himself up to another's will 
whose service is used by Jesus Christ in advancing the kingdom of God. That's how Paul sees himself. I'm just here to advance his kingdom. That's what I'm doing. I'm a servant of his. This, this idea of being a servant is so ingrained in Paul and he saw himself as incredibly bound by it to the point of life or death. And I'm not even joking about it. Listen to what Paul actually says when it comes to life or death stuff. In Philippians 1, 21 to 26, he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Ah, you know, if I live, it'd be great. I guess I can do some work. But oh, what it would be to die. How good is death? How good would it be to just be dead? Oh gosh, I wish I could, I wish I could die. You think I'm joking? This is what he goes on to say. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed. Hard pressed? Are you joking me right now? I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart. Oh, that's nice. That means die. My desire is to die and be with Jesus. Uh, that's far better. But uh, to remain alive in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Why? Because, you know, I'm just a servant, just here to serve. So convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. Why? For your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Man, I would love to die. Because if I was to die, it's like instant glory. I'm with Jesus, and that is far better. That would be Paul's preference. My preference is to die, but how many of you understand that when you're a servant, it's not about your preference? And pay attention to this, because this matters. Paul says, I have a preference to not be in this prison anymore. I wish I could just die and go to God. Like, that would be so much better. But who cares what I want? It's necessary for me to be here on your account. I'm Again, God, it's not about my preferences. It's all about what you want. Your will be done. Gosh, even Jesus said that in the Garden of Gethsemane. Is there any other way? No, okay, it's not my will, but your will be done. Servants lose their preferences. And I think that's important because a lot of people get caught up in their preferences. A lot of people want to take their time, their talent, their treasure and use it for what they want. I get it. I understand but when you see yourself as a servant, it reduces what you can do with that stuff. Consider Jonah. Jonah is a prophet to the Israel. And in Israel, he would be honored because he's a prophet. And pro when prophets speak, it's, it's like God is speaking to Israel through them. So they listen to them. And, and God says to Jonah, I, I would like you to take the gift that I have given to you. That's his talent. I want you to take that talent and I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to tell them to repent, which is to turn away from the way that they're going and to repent and, and, and listen to me. And Jonah says, I don't want to do that. Now, I don't mind telling you that the Ninevites, they were horrible people. Like they were, they were honestly, they were war-mongering people. And I don't think Jonah liked them. And he said, I don't, I don't want to do that. God says, well, I don't really care what you like, Jonah. 
because it's not about you. I gave you the talent and I'm telling you what to do with it. Jonah says, okay, fine. I'll go down to the docks tomorrow. Goes down to the docks and he says, excuse me, where is the ship that I can catch that would go to um, Nineveh? He goes, right here. Which way is Nineveh again? He says, oh, it's over there. He says, great. What is the furthest city that you have in this direction? That's Tarshish. She goes, fantastic. I will buy a one-way ticket to Tarshish immediately, right? Gets on the boat, starts to row. Why is it? What's he doing? He's trying to outrun the call of God in his life. I'm not using this for you, God. It's, I would like to keep this talent for me and use it to serve what I, the way I want it to. God's like, it's not about your preferences, Jonah. Take what I've given you and use it how I tell you. Now, servants understand that. But no one can make you really be a servant, you know? Like, you have to be the one that makes that decision for yourself. And when you do, when you do, it's not just what you bring, but it's who you are. Because what happens is you become the message. You become the message. This is what you need to know. Servanthood is the greatest way for us to communicate our motivation. It is. I think that's why... Jesus and Paul gave it to us as a strategy for how to get the gospel to a culture that is increasingly resistant of that message. He goes, no, no, no. If you serve people, they'll eventually figure out our motivation is that we love and care for people. And if people figure out that we actually are here because we love them and we care about them, they might just listen to what that message is. See, when you serve, you create a platform. And that platform is not there for you, your ministry, your call. That platform exists for the gospel and the advancement of the kingdom of God. And that's what it's all about. I used to, I used to work in a liquor store many years ago. And I had this customer that all of a sudden started to come. And she would buy a lot of alcohol. Sometimes she'd come in multiple times in a day. And she was nicely presented, but I could tell there were other things going on there. She would buy it. She'd buy casks. Like, that's how much she was consuming. And I knew that she didn't really work for a business that required it. I asked her one day. This was totally unprofessional. I am unprofessional. I said... Hey, what's your name? She told me her name. I said, it's so nice to meet you. I said, I hope you don't mind me saying, but I've noticed that you come in a lot and you buy a lot of alcohol. And I, I guess what I really want to know is, are you okay? Are you all right? Because I see you in here all the time and I just, I just want to know if everything's okay at home and how are you? She said, oh, I'm okay. She says, I have some things that are happening in my life right now. I said, I'm so sorry to ask you this and I don't mean to offend you, but why do you buy so much alcohol? She said, I can't get to sleep. I have insomnia. And the only way that I can sleep is if I drink enough to fall asleep. So that's why I'm buying it. I said, okay. I said, well, I just want to let you know that if there's anything that I can ever do to help you or serve you, if there's anything I can ever do for you, just let me know. And I would love to do that for you. She said, okay. She would come in every time she would come into the store. I'd always serve her so well and always look after her and do everything I could to 
make sure that she didn't feel judged and make sure that when she came in, she felt loved and accepted. I always looked after this person so well. So one day I'm, I'm actually at the register. We've got a line of customers and she walks past outside the store. And when she did, I felt like God said to me, you need to go now. You ever had that moment? But God says, do it now, do it now. I said, okay. So I just called someone over. I said, hey, can you look after the register? I'll be back in a minute. So I walked outside and I called out to her and I said, hey, I said, just stop a minute. She turned around and I said to her, hey, I just wanted to ask, are you doing okay? Is everything all right with you? I just, just want to make sure that you're all right. She says, why do you do this? Why, why do you always ask me if I'm okay? Why do you stop me and check on me and you're always, you're always kind. You're always nice to me. Why do you do this? I guess she was trying to figure out my motivation. I really had nowhere to hide. So really simply, I said, well, I need you to know that God loves you. And I know this is going to sound strange to you, but so do I. I said, your life matters and I care about where you end up. The moment I said that, she started crying, tears down her eyes. She says, I have a father and I have a boyfriend and they have never said anything to me like what you just said. What are you, what are you about? I said, I've got to tell you about Jesus. What happened? Her heart opened. And it was, a, it, was, it was built on a platform of serving that eventually allowed the gospel to come in to her heart so that she could listen to a message that would change her life, you know? If you serve the world, you'll save the world. I think, that's what, I think that's what Jesus meant. I think that's what Paul meant. If you serve the world, you save the world. If you serve, you're saved. See, I think it's so sad that we live in a culture where we have become known as a church, or the church, I mean. that The church has become known for everything that we're not. I feel like... I feel like when people that don't understand what we're about, or maybe it's the way that the media portrays what the church is about, they think that we exist to lord it over people. No, that's, that's not what we're about. And, and Jesus said, make sure that people never, make sure you never do that. That's not what we're about. I, I think this is why the devil always tries to talk people out of serving because he understands that if we serve, that we can save. That's why he's always saying to you, you don't have the time to serve. You don't have the talent to give. You don't have the treasure. Give your money. No, don't, don't, don't do that. You don't have enough to give. Like keep it all. Keep your time. Keep your talent. Keep your treasure. I think he knows that if we use the resources that we've got, we're going to make a difference in this world. So he constantly reinforces his message and says, no, don't give it up. Don't do that. Or how about this? Why don't you just delay it? Start serving next week, next, next month, next year. Hey, sometime around 2023, that's your year, you know? That's, that's when you, that'll be the time when everything is really settled in your life and things are finally peaceful and when everything's harmonious, when everything's harmonious, that's when you'll really start to shine. That's when you'll start to serve and make a difference. Hey, don't wait for that. Because the longer that you wait for that, the longer that you're not making an impact on planet Earth and you've been made by God to make a difference here on Earth. 
We have a person in our church, Amy Wynn, who is growing at an incredible rate, rate and is amazing in how she leads us and in, in, in worship. And so she was getting this really sore throat pre-corona <laughs> from singing. So what would happen is she would sing and then the next day her throat would be really sore. So what she thought she had to do was save her voice all week for Sunday. So she, isn't she beautiful? What she wanted to do was give it to you. So she said, I, I'm going to conserve my voice and I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to do anything. And then I'll give Sunday everything I've got. And then I have to recover on Monday. And that's how she was doing it. She, after a while, she went and saw the doctor and the doctor looked at her and he said, oh, I see what's going on here. You actually have a very strong voice. He says, the problem is you're not using it enough. The, the, the idea here is, is not that you don't sing and then give it everything on Sunday. You need to sing every single day. You need to give it everything all the time so your voice can actually get stronger. This is the best thing that's ever happened to Matt Wynn. Thank God he, he, he married someone that's an amazing worship leader. I try to bless my family with that. They tell me not to sing. It's like in some house it's a blessing and mine it's not. I actually went to the pools yesterday and, and by the way, empty. Thank you, coronavirus. And so we went to the pools. We were sw swimming and I, I started singing and my, my daughter says, she goes, Dad, Stop it, there are people here. <laughs> no word of a lie. I called the lifeguard over. You said, you like my singing? She goes, oh yeah. I said, see? <laughs> Amy has to keep singing and using her gift and her talent regularly so it can continue to be built up and, and be strong. What if the thing that you were supposed to be doing is not avoiding all of the service stuff, but serving all the time, everywhere you are, every environment that you're in. What if the way that you really make a difference is just to serve? Do it constantly, do it consistently. You've been, you've been avoiding serving for all the wrong reasons. I need to conserve, I need to conserve, I need to conserve. Jesus says, hey, if you start to serve, what if I just let my ministry begin to flow through you and I sustain you? Remember what Paul the Apostle said? He says, he goes, I will fight with all of God's strength in me. What if the thing that you're not willing to do is the thing God is wanting to work through? Because when you serve the world, you save the world. And so I don't know if you ever do this. Oh man, I need to finish, but listen. Do you ever read the Scriptures? And when you look at it, yeah, full stop. Well, question. It's a good question to ask yourself. But when you read it, do you ever read it and, and allow what's in here to shape your life? This is supposed to correct your preference. You all got them. I know that. But this is supposed to correct it. So, Sometimes what I do is when I read this, I say, okay, well, I've got to make sure that my life lines up with what's in here. That's how I know I'm doing it right. So if there's anybody here that says, oh, you don't understand my unique circumstance. I don't have the time, the talent or the treasure. I wouldn't even speak to you. I just let Paul do that. And here's what Paul would say to you. He says, you know what? You got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Because when he says you've got to work out your salvation, that is not about you have to work towards your salvation. That's not what that's about. Jesus has already died on the cross. It's been done for you. Just learn to walk in it. That's not what that's about. He's saying that if you go to live this life of servanthood out of gratitude for your Savior, he says, I'm not going to work it out for you. You walk the tension. You figure it out. I don't know your time. I don't know your schedule. I don't know how you're going to make it work. You work it out. You work out your own salvation. You've been saved, so come on, you work it out. 
How are you going to make the changes to your life? Because I really feel like what Paul is saying is, if you said, I don't have time, tell on a treasure, he says, you absolutely need to reprioritize everything in the light of eternity. I know you've got preferences, that's fine. But remember, when you see yourself as a servant, it restricts your preferences. I remember when I gave my life to Jesus, rededicated my heart to Him, I was 21 years old, and I came home from church, and it was after a couple of months, and I realized I had this encounter with what God had done for me, and I had an A4 piece of paper, and I got a big red texter, and I wrote on this piece of paper, you died for me, I'll live for you. And I put a pin in it and I stuck it to my wall so that every time I walked through my doorway into my bedroom, I saw that sign there. You died for me. I'll live for you. When we give our lives to Jesus, it's not about taking salvation and running with it. When you give your life to Jesus, that's what it means. You give it to Him. I said to God, I know that there's going to be preferences that I'll have. There'll be things that I want to do, things I don't want to do. And God, it's not about me. So God, I make you this promise. 21 years old. I said, I'll, I'll give you everything. I'll, I'll just give it all to you. And, and, and when I want to do something and you don't want me to do it, I'll, I'll listen to you. When you point me in a direction, even if it's not what I want, that's the direction I'll go. I'm just making this promise to you because I realize like many of you already do that your life was bought at a price. Jesus gave His life as a servant to save you. I feel like the least we could do is to serve Him. And the more you understand about giving your whole life to God, I think you start to really get what Paul was talking about. Because when Paul said, hey, it's actually a lot easier to die and have instant glory and be with God in heaven. It's a lot easier for that to be the case than for you to live every day as a servant restricting your preferences to be in alignment with God's plan for your life. I think that's why he said it. That's why he said it. But that's what we're called to do. That's how we're supposed to live. I want to pray for you guys today. Would you just stand to your feet? Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.